Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Back by popular demand is Dr. Rick Dina, who knows more about fatty acids than anybody I've ever met. And he is going to tell us today whether all vegans need to take DHA. Please welcome him back to the show. Thank you for coming up again. Chef AJ, it's always a pleasure to join you. Uh, always a pleasure to meet with your audience and hopefully share some useful, valuable information so people can do the right thing and not have to worry about uh, some of the misinformation out there, which there's just so much of. So the less of that we can have for people, the better. Absolutely. You know, most of the guests on this show, at least the plant-based doctors, they're for plants over pills. And not to say that no one should ever take a supplement. There is just seems to be a consensus on a lot of them that people are taking it sometimes unnecessarily, which means that possibly they could be doing harm, but then they're spending a lot of money on something that maybe they either don't need or that they could get just from food. Yeah. Amen. I mean, we are big fans. Um, my, my wife and I, Dr. Carradine and I teach together. So we're big fans of yes, food, 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 if there's a couple of things to fill in with a supplement or two, then fine. You know, we're not against that. But yes, we prefer food as plan A. Right. Well, there's one supplement I think just about everyone agrees on for people following a vegan or plant-based diet, and that's B12. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Wish I had a solution for that. And I've done a bunch of experiments with chlorella and spirulina on myself and, and with, with uh, different patients. And the supplements, the reliable source. Right. I think Dr. Goldhammer said that he took it took him years when he became vegan at 16 for the deficiency to show up. So I, I was at True North at the time when that happened. Uh, so he started at 16. He was 40 years old. It took him 24 years before his methylmalonic acid levels started increasing. And that told him it was time for a supplement. That is that's incredible. Did you enjoy your time working at True North? Oh, my God. It was extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. I got to see consistently, predictably, and routinely, people reverse diabetes, autoimmune disease, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I mean, just restore their health, wean off their, or just stop taking their medications because it was clinically appropriate. See their lab values change. It's incredible to see what happens when we give the body the opportunity to do what it does best, which is heal itself. That's incredible. Well, Dr. Goldhammer always jokes that uh, the body does all the healing and he can take all the credit. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, he learned that from Dr. Benish, uh, Dr. Gerald Benish when he was young and that that set him on his path that he's still on. That's funny. You don't live too far from there, do you? No, no. I'm, I'm like five or 10 minutes away from True North. In fact, we have a fasting section in our course and some of our patients, our students, excuse me, get inspired by that. And they go to True North and then we go visit them and, and say hello, uh, usually when they're refeeding and they have some energy again. Yeah. You ever go there just for a meal? Uh, we have in the past. Yeah. Have a guest meal or, or, you know, if someone we know is there, we'll stop in and, you know, have a guest meal and say hi to Dr. Goldhammer and hear what he's up to. And, it, you know, we're, we're still we still feel very connected to the True North uh, community. It's an amazing place. That's great. How did you get to be what, what a lot of us think of the expert in analyzing fatty acid profiles? Because you, you know, a lot, I'm guessing. Yeah, I just, I mean, I studied it. I started with the book Fats That Heal and Fats That Kill. I remember reading that when I was at True North. Uh, it's by Udo Erasmus. A lot of the things I learned in organic chemistry class when I was taking my prerequisites for chiropractic school uh, fit into that. 
And over the years, I just studied it more, read more research. I started testing myself and my wife and different patients. And over the years, you know, you amass a, a few dozen uh, results. You know what they eat. You see what the results are. You read more research. You put it all together and, and you figure things out. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know Udo Erasmus, but uh, we both participated in a conference once called the Truth, the Real Truth About Health Conference. And he seems to be a big fan of oil for everyone, including, I, I'm guessing, olive oil. Yeah, I'm not a big oil fan. I would much rather see people get their healthy fats from food. And, you know, this is going to be fascinating to see your results here, uh, Chef AJ, because as your viewers know, not only do you not consume any oil at all, but you don't eat any overt sources of fat. You get not your really. healthy I, fat yeah. from fruits I mean, I do, and vegetables. I do have a little chia seeds in my diet, not because I'm worried about deficiencies, but because they're great in recipes. You know, like for instance, when you're doing salad dressings, can, or, or Lissa's, you, you know Lissa, right? From raw food. Course, absolutely, well, She we makes do. the most amazing wraps <laughs> in the world that are raw vegan. And you need a tablespoon per wrap just as a binder. So I'm not afraid to eat them, but... Um, you know, I do. So I, I don't want to say I've never had a nut or seed got or avocado it, in 12 it. years, but really, really pretty much not a nut or an avocado, but, you know, a little bit of seeds, but not because I'm worried about it, because I use them in recipes that call for them. Got it. OK, so thank you for correcting me. So your your extra fat, your concentrated fat intake is very minimum. Do you and do you, have you ever calculate it out when you have uh, some chia seeds one day? Are you still around nine, ten yeah. percent fat right. instead of maybe ever, seven or eight? Exactly. I don't think I ever go over ten percent. And people okay. people criticize me and shame me. And yet, you know, there are other people following Dr. McGoogle or Dr. Esselstyn that eat the same low fat diet. And, and there's populations. Aren't uh, I'm trying to think which is it the Tarahumara Indians? There's there's populations out there that are extremely low fat and even don't eat salt, and they seem to be thriving. Yeah, the Tarahumara, that's who Nathan Pritikin uh, developed his diet after. And they're, you know, they, they, they're they not vegan. They do do some hunting and stuff, but I mean, they they chase deer down until the deer get exhausted. That's how good they are as, as runners and as athletes. And they're healthy and they live a long time. And uh, yeah, yeah, without uh, added fat, without a lot of fat. Wow. But yeah. we need the right amount of healthy fat. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we, uh, you know, as we continue uh, with this presentation. You know, Dr. Rick, I think that people don't realize that almost all food has some fat, maybe, maybe, maybe not fruit, which actually I think it might have trace uh, amounts it, of it fat. It does. Just like people worry that if they eat a vegan or a plant-based diet, where will they get their protein? I think people often worry if they don't pound down handfuls of nuts and seeds and have oil that they won't get fat, but you know, I'm not raw, but like things like oats, th those are fairly high in fat compared to many of the grains. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can look at that uh, coming up. I mean, you leafy green vegetables are actually an excellent source of omega-3 healthy fats. Now putting a piece of iceberg lettuce on your cheeseburger isn't going to cut it, but if you consume big salads and kale and, and other leafy greens in quantity because you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables as part of a whole food plant-based diet, there is enough quantity there to add up. And that's really good for people to know. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a lot of controversy around this test, the fat, I, I believe most, many places call it the fatty acid profile mm -hmm. uh, because that you can do a, a finger stick, you can do venipuncture, there's different labs and it seems like different labs have different values. Mm -hmm. So, so I think it's very confusing for people because like I had the, 
a situation recently where my doctor ordered them and not because I'm sick, but because people are always worried about my fatty acid levels. So I get this test done mostly for kicks and giggles every year to show that uh, you can still be healthy. But then I also just for fun did a finger stick because I had had a doctor on the show saying that venipuncture is more accurate and that the finger sticks people said, well, you're low. And I'm like, well, that's weird because I did the other one on the same day and they said I was fine. So how do people know who to listen to? Well, that is a, a excellent question. I'm going to try to share a little bit to cut through some of that confusion uh, in the presentation coming up. Oh, a and presentation. hopefully it will make. Yeah, oh, yeah. I got I got your results. I got some PowerPoint stuff. I, I got all sorts of stuff all, all ready. Yeah, that's where I first heard of you. You were go well. I had seen you once at the True North Health Center, but you went through Robbie Barberos, who eats very well. Just just like me, because he's mostly raw, but he eats you know low calorie dense, high volume, really few overt fats, and his were like higher. He he beat me. He he did really good. And uh, over and over again, when people eat a low fat plant based diet, but lots of green vegetables, which you and Robbie and myself all, all fall into that category. You actually see an excellent fatty acid profile because it's not just the total quantity of fat, it's the mix of different fatty acids that makes up the profile that's extremely important. And I've actually seen examples where people lower the fat in their diet, but get a better fatty acid profile and like have actually higher omega-3 levels because it's all relative. Right. Uh, so, and by greens, greens doesn't just mean kale, right? I mean, there's many types of things that would be considered greens that are high in these omega-3 fatty acids. Lettuce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kale, collards, broccoli, uh, uh, dandelion, if, if any of you like those, that's one of Dr. Karen's favorites. Um, bok choy, you know, any of those leafy greens are excellent sources of omega-3s. Yeah. It's incredible that even plants have some fats. They do. I mean, for example, some people think that, uh, that for well, they make a mistake. They say we need saturated fat in our diet, which isn't true. And then they say vegans don't have saturated fat, and then they're all messed up for that and other reasons. Lettuce has saturated fat in it. Chia seeds have saturated fat. Bananas, tomatoes, any plant food you can think of, of the fat in there, a little bit of it's saturated. And that's okay. But then in animal foods... There's much more fat in general, generally speaking, and a much higher percentage of that fat is saturated fat. So it's a different fatty acid profile, and that really changes a lot of things. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that with some of the reference ranges that seeing what works for a general high fat, high saturated fat, high cholesterol, pro-inflammatory, low antioxidant, high body fat profile can't always apply uh, to somebody like yourself or me who were, were lower fat, high antioxidant, low inflammation, low body fat. Um, you can't always correspond the two together. And right. that's where some of the confusion comes in. So you can't paint everyone with the same brush. There you go. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well a, that's, said. A, that's a Dr. Lyle saying, but-, uh, but All right. Well, good, good, good man. I, I, you know, I must've heard Dr. Lyle give his- Pleasure Trap presentation 50 times during my four years at True North. And every time I listened to him, I was just as into it as the time before. It was like listening to my favorite song. Yeah. Uh, so it's good stuff. <laughs> I agree. Can't, it, can't hear that too often. 
So shall we look at your recent yes, results? I'd love to see what you came up with. Okay. So we have got your recent results from June of this year, just a couple of months ago, and then uh, some others from what, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So let me start out by sharing the screen. Make sure it always gives me 8 million choices here. It looks like this is the right one. Yep. Okay, so hopefully everybody can see this. And I don't think anyone needed to know your date of birth or your fax number. So I- uh, <laughs> I don't mind I, telling them, 32260. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. In this day of identity theft and all that on the true. internet, I'm yeah, a little extra true. cautious. Yeah. But, oh, you know you know what I should do first? Let me, let me stop the share because there's some fatty assets here that we'll see the values of. Give me just a moment, um, very briefly. Let's see, I'm going to share- one of my PowerPoints and where, all right, give me a second here. All right, let's, let me try again. Let me, uh... all right, hold on a second. <laughs> Thank you all for bearing with me. Okay, so what we're gonna look at here is a little bit complicated looking, but we're gonna look at some omega-3 fats, the omega-3 family of fats that I am highlighting here. We have ALA, EPA, and DHA. ALA is found in, that's the omega-3 essential fat. It's found in leafy greens and also in regular fruits and vegetables and some other whole plant foods. The more concentrated sources that most of us have heard about are flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts. So when everything works right, our body can convert that into EPA and DHA. EPA is really important for reducing inflammation in the body. And DHA, and these are among other things, this is just uh, kind of oversimplified, is very, very important for brain function and for helping our hormones work properly because these two things make up parts of our cell membranes and hormone receptors are embedded within our cell membranes and the different types of fats that have different characteristics, both structural and electrical attributes, have an influence over the hormone receptors that go right through them. Um, and both of them together help make our bloodstream a little bit thinner, thin enough so we don't tend to clog up our arteries. And there's a lot more to that story, but that's kind of what these do in a nutshell. So the other essential fat is known as linoleic acid. It's an omega-6 fat. And when we eat that corn, cottonseed, soybean oil, it's in a lot of processed food, including a lot of vegan junk food, it gets converted into this guy here called AA or arachidonic acid, which is pro-inflammatory. And this omega-3 guy, EPA here, is anti-inflammatory. So in any case, just a little bit of background before we actually look at Chef AJ's results in order to make the most sense of them. So the first thing I like to do is I like to look at DHA. Okay, long chain, does the stuff I mentioned. The reference range for this lab, Quest Diagnostics, goes from 1.2 to 3.9, and Chef AJ was at 3.6. So she's near the high end of this lab's reference range. Now that's good because some people say, you, you, we can't make our own DHA. Some people think this should be higher, but we'll talk about that coming up. But Chef AJ can make a fair amount. EPA, 0.2 to 1.5, she's at 1.1. That looks solid to me. Now, 
When you take DHA and EPA and you add these levels together, 3.6 plus 1.1, that comes out to 4.7. And with a slight rounding error here, we have the omega-3 index. Again, that's DHA and EPA added together. That comes out to 4.6 on her, and she's near the upper end of this lab's reference range. She's at 4.6. So we can see over here that in terms of cardiovascular risk, over 3.2 is optimal. They also look at the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, pro-inflammatory to anti-inflammatory. She's extra low there, which is good, extra low inflammation. And arachidonic acid, that's the major pro-inflammatory omega-6 fat. That's, you know, kind of below the middle of the reference range. And that is really good also. So there's that. And then a couple of years ago, let me see where that is in, uh, bear with me for just a moment. I got everything here. It's just not all in the exact same place. Uh, so, 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 okay. So here we go. Let me share the screen again and show Chef AJ's results from a couple of years ago. And so what we see here is her DHA there was 3.1, so a little bit lower than last time, but still good. EPA was 1.0. You add those together, 4.1 with a little bit of rounding error. Her omega-3 index was 4.0. So this lab considers that optimal because it's above 3.2. They look at the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, and specifically the EPA, anti-inflammatory omega-3 fat, to arachidonic acid, pro-inflammatory omega-6 fat ratio, that should be low, and that's good. So from that point of view, these are excellent fatty acid profiles. Actually, let me share that same PowerPoint again. We're going to look at a couple of other things there. So back in... 2010. It's the first time I actually did a fatty acid profile on myself. You can see here the lab is Genova Diagnostics, and we've got ALA here on the top, EPA just below it, and DHA at the bottom. So of they see here the units are weight percent. So of all the fat that makes up my red blood cell cell membranes, 3.7% of the weight was DHA. Genova also thinks that's good. It's above 2.1. Um, I had enough EPA there and ALA you get from flax and chia and hemp. Going back quite a long time ago, uh, some of you may know who have been around this movement a, a while, or if you're a plant-based doctor who's been around for a while, Genova used to be called Great Smokies. Uh, so in 2005, we tested Dr. Karen, and she was a little bit lower in DHA, but still pretty good and uh, had some EPA there. So all of these show that all of us, despite not having any EPA and DHA in our diets, can actually make EPA and DHA from the omega-3 essential fat, ALA, and that is good to know. So I'm gonna show one other thing. I just gotta go back to sharing my uh, PDF here. And let me find where that is. Okay, so we had Chef AJ's here. Um, so then, so anyway, I, I love Genova's test because it, it's very accurate. Um, it, it, when I, consulting with people over the internet made it a, a little bit not so convenient. So what would happen is I would have to 
mail somebody a kit or I, ha I would have Genova mail them a kit and it had some tubes to put some blood in and some ice packs. And then my patient would go to a local lab, Quest or LabCorp, have to pay them the 50 or so dollar fee to draw the blood and put it in the packs uh, and send it to Genova overnight. So you had to go Monday through Thursday in the morning and then we'd get the results back. Uh, a number of years ago, I started using this company called OmegaQuant and I think the levels are accurate enough to get a good idea of what's going on. But the benefit is it's about a third the cost. It's about $100. You can get a, a readout of, of all the different fats and make sense out of them, see what's going on. And you prick your finger at home, you drop some blood on a card, and you send the results back. And in a couple of weeks, you get your results. So Dr. Karen's omega-3 index here was 5.82. Based on Quest, they would say, that's awesome. She's above 3.2. She's in an excellent range. But you'll notice this lab says desirable range 8 to 12%. So, hmm, what's going on there? We'll talk about that in a minute. They looked at the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio and then the pro-inflammatory to anti-inflammatory ratio. That looked pretty good. Now, this was a very interesting time, and trans fats always really low on my patients because you get those from processed foods. Um, but in any case, we measured her right after giving birth to our son a couple of years ago. You can see this was, uh, let's see, August, September, October of 2021. And she had just given birth, and we measured her for fatty acids three times during her pregnancy. And then another thing that OmegaQuant offers that's really cool is about uh, seven weeks after giving birth, we measured the DHA levels in her mother's milk. And I think it's interesting that they don't think this is desirable and optimal for her body, but her level in D of DHA in mother's milk was up here well into the green, um, which is really good to see. So what then is this discrepancy between this lab says we need eight to 12% uh, for a healthy omega-3 index, whereas Quest says over 3.2% is good. So here is something to consider. And let me go back to my uh, fatty acid profile in the PowerPoint here. So ALA gets converted into EPA and DHA. You see here, every time there's an arrow, there is an enzyme that does something. So those of you who have ever studied fatty acids, in fact, let, let's take a, take a look at a few here. Here is this uh, stuff called ALA. That's the omega-3 essential fat. And if you count these carbons here, there's 18 of them. If you count where there's these things called double bonds, there are three of them. So what this enzyme does is it adds a double bond. Now there's four double bonds. That's called a desaturase enzyme. Then an elongase enzyme comes along and it adds two carbons. Now it's longer, it's 20 carbons long. And then the enzymes keep doing that. Now, the omega-6 family works the same way. There are elongase and desaturase enzymes that convert the omega-6 essential fat into the other members of the omega-6 family. What happens is most people eat much more omega-6 fats than they do omega-3 fats. Most people are eating lots of processed foods. 
We find some of this in animal foods also, and most people aren't eating large quantities of leafy greens and fruits and vegetables and flax, chia, and hemp seeds or cold water fish. So what happens is the enzymes are so busy with the excess amount of omega-6 fats here, they don't get to work on the omega-3 family. They call that within science competitive inhibition. And when I started learning about this, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could test people who don't eat an excess amount of omega-6 fats and see if they can convert omega-3s well. And as it turns out, we can do a pretty good job of that. Most people can do a, a very good job. So when they study your average people out there and they say, okay, we're going to give people some ALA and then we're going to see if it increased their DHA levels, what they find is most people don't make very much DHA. Why do they find that? Because the enzymes are so busy working on the omega-6s from all the processed food they're consuming, including potentially vegan junk food, they don't convert very well. So what happens is people then say, research shows we don't convert omega-3s. We don't convert ALA into DHA very well. Therefore, everybody needs a supplement. But we can tell from testing if somebody's in good shape or not. And what I have found in testing many people over the years who are vegan and eat don't eat processed food and, and have a healthy fatty acid profile is most people can do a very good job converting. So you saw my levels, you saw Dr. Karen's levels, you saw AJ's levels. Now, even though some people think those levels should be higher than they are, it does clearly show we can all make EPA and DHA, even though most people can't because we have a different profile. All right, so... I've got a little prop here, a few props. I've got some coconut oil here. Now we never consume this. Occasionally we use it as a moisturizer. Um, this is from it. It says it's expired May of 2019 on there, which means we bought it uh, several years before that. So it is, I, I was, it was in the fridge before and it's solid and it's solid here at room temperature. You can see some down there at the bottom. If I hold it upside down, nothing comes out. So coconut oil is made mostly out of saturated fat. Medium chain saturated fats, not the long ones, but mostly saturated fat, that makes it solid. Here I have some olive oil. We use this to uh, clean our stainless steel appliances and then put the blade on the champion juicer shaft. It's liquid, right? You can hear it and you can see it moving around. Now, what if I put this in the refrigerator and my refrigerator was extra cold? It might start getting a little bit solid. Whereas the coconut oil in the refrigerator would be really solid because it's a different type of fat. Now, I also have here some DHA oil. I'm not going to show you the who it's from, but this stuff is very liquid at room temperature. It's liquid in the fridge. It even, in theory, would stay liquid in the freezer. So if I wanted to take a mix of coconut oil and DHA oil from algae and combine those together so this stuff would be liquid in the refrigerator, if I added enough algae oil, because I have really unsaturated fats in here, this stuff could actually be liquid in the refrigerator. So I have a question for Chef AJ, because Chef AJ, you're... you're 
proud to say that your IQ is higher than your cholesterol level. So we're, we're going to give you a, a tough IQ test here. Uh-oh. If I wanted to keep this olive oil liquid in the refrigerator, even if it was really cold, would I have to add as much algae oil, EPA and DHA, as I do to the coconut oil, to the olive oil to get the same effect? I'm going to say I don't think so. You don't think so. And why is that? Here's the hint. Uh, Because this is solid to begin with. mm -hmm. So you need more really liquid fats to add to this to get it to be liquidy compared to the olive oil that was already liquidy to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that's my analogy to say, If you eat like Chef AJ does, or like I do, or a lot of other people uh, in the whole food plant-based community, and we don't already have a whole bunch of extra saturated fat, which makes our bloodstream thicker and more viscous, and we don't have cholesterol, we don't need to consume or have as high levels of omega-3 fats, particularly DHA, compared to somebody who does eat a lot of saturated fat. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, so that's my thought. Now, there's some more things to consider with this. The the folks that say we need 8 to 12% of an omega-3 index will show and point out, and I believe this, okay? I think this is absolutely legit. When they study people, and the people they study, though, eat conventionally, When they study people who eat conventionally, they find that it takes a lot more omega-3 fats to offset everything being so thick in order to get some benefits. So think about this. The average person eats way more saturated fat than they need. So to get their blood thinner, they want to take more of this stuff. They need more of it. Most people eat way more omega-6 fats than they need. That's pro-inflammatory. So you get this stuff, there's EPA in here, or your body can retro-convert DHA back to EPA. You need enough of that to offset the inflammation that the too many omega-6 fats uh, provide or help to create. Most people also have too much body fat. That's pro-inflammatory in and of themselves. So given that profile, I'll believe that you need to get to 8 to 12% to have a lower cardiovascular risk. But what if you don't have that profile? I don't think you need nearly to get to 8 to 12 to be healthy. So here's some thoughts. Doctors, um, you've Chef AJ, you have interviewed Dr. Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn uh, on your program, I'm sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. So I had the good fortune of interviewing Dr. Esselstyn for our 2021 plant-based summit. Mostly what he did is he shared his screen and gave a fantastic presentation showing how he can take patients and look at the clogging of their arteries and look at blood flow to the heart and actually reduce the plaque in their arteries and get more blood flow to the heart. He became famous for that. And he showed cutaways of the arterial diagrams and plaque forming and explained how it all works. And it was, it was phenomenal. So because he gave a presentation, I knew I could only ask him a couple of quick questions. One of the questions was, Dr. Esselstyn, in your patients who saw these remarkable results, did you measure a fatty acid profile on them? 
like the fatty acid profile we looked at uh, for Chef AJ and mine and my wife's. And unfortunately, he said he didn't. So we don't know what their omega-3 index was. We don't know if it was up at 8 or 12. But we do know what Dr. Esselstyn recommends for his patients who got well. He recommends a diet of fruit, vegetables, whole grains, and beans. And he says no oil, not even a drop. And he's not a big fan of adding much uh, fat really at all. So Chef AJ, your diet is, if I got this right, fruit, vegetables, both starchy and non-starchy, and some whole grains. Basically, it's Dr. Yeah. Esselstyn's diet minus the beans, right? Absolutely. Okay. So I have studied enough people who fit Dr. Esselstyn's profile and have looked at their results. And so this is a little bit of a stretch I'm taking. This isn't Dr. Esselstyn's patients directly, but I've looked at the results of many people who eat just the way he recommends and we typically see profiles very similar to what we saw with Chef AJ's. And that approach has been scientifically proven, not just to put you at the lowest risk for cardiovascular disease, but to actually reverse the process. So it's when you consider that, it becomes an extremely difficult argument to say everybody needs to have an omega-3 index of 8 to 12%. If people with omega-3 indexes around four reverse cardiovascular disease. So, I mean, that, that should really be pretty telling um, right there. Now, there's a lot. Let's see. What else can I show you guys on the screen here? Um, I want to show you a quick thing of some, let's see where it is, some cell membranes. All right. So here we have some different fatty acids. And then here we have a cell membrane. It separates the outside of the cell from the inside of the cell. And there are hormone receptors embedded within this cell membrane. Now you can see here, some of these lines here, they're all fats. Some of them are straight. That's a saturated fat. Some of them are curved. Those are unsaturated fats. We need to have some saturated fat and cholesterol in these cell membranes for stiffness and rigidity. We also need to have unsaturated fats, including DHA, which are curved and fluid and flexible and conduct electrical activity in order for these hormone receptors. This, this isn't a hormone receptor. This is a different channel, but they, they look similar when they're embedded within the fatty acid layer of the cell membranes, which is a reflection of what we eat. So when we have a healthy mix in our cell membranes, hormones like insulin work well. And so, for example, when people lower the fat and change the fatty acid profile of their diets, diabetes reverses. People oftentimes can reverse depression because the serotonin receptor is influenced by the mix of fatty acids that we eat. So I just read an article the other day that said a handful of nuts daily is linked to lower depression. Why might that be? Because most people's cell membranes are too stiff and too rigid and don't conduct enough electrical activity. And when the serotonin receptor, or excuse me, when serotonin comes and binds to the serotonin receptor, it does not respond as much as it should. Lower levels of serotonin stimulation can lead to things like depression. So 
my guess is Chef AJ, are you suffering from depression? No. Probably not. <laughs> Have you measured some of your blood sugar numbers, like your A1C <clears throat> and your fasting I mean, glucose? And they, they all seem within normal range. Mine are all good too. So my guess is if you're the typical person eating too much saturated fat now, and, and some of those people, the serotonin receptor is not going to work well. And now you add some nuts, some unsaturated fat to sort of change the, your fatty acid profile in your cell membranes. That can be enough for some people for the serotonin receptor to start working properly. But does that mean for people like Chef AJ that giving her nuts is going to make her feel better? I don't think so because she's already covered. Her cell membranes aren't too stiff and rigid in the first place from eating conventionally. Therefore, I don't think an extra handful of nuts would help. I'll give you another example of a, an algae-based product I learned about many years ago. It's actual algae grown in a cold water lake, and it's known to contain EPA and DHA. Now, they, they had a promotional uh, CD where people could listen to it, and people would say, oh, my God, I was depressed, and I started consuming this algae, and my depression went away. I felt so much better, or I had diabetes, and I started consuming this algae, and, and my A1C came down, and, and all these things got better. That makes sense to me because when you add DHA, when there's not enough, given the current situation, that makes the insulin receptor works better. The serotonin receptor works better. Things improve. So I tried this stuff. It was a 30-day supply. It comes frozen. I, I defrosted it. And it's a 30-day supply in the bottle. And I drank half the bottle. So I, I drank a two-week supply of it all at once. I figured, let's really see what happens. Nothing changed. How come I didn't get these incredible results that they said on the testimonials from the first time I had it, you know, the light bulbs came on because my light bulbs were already on. I already had enough DHA. So I, I think you're all starting to get the idea that you can't necessarily apply what's learned or what's helpful to people who eat conventionally and always assume that that's going to apply to people who eat very differently and have a different type of biochemistry in their body and a totally different situation. I'll give one last example. Let's just say you're in a place, um, maybe you're measuring people running and there's always a headwind coming at you and you measure the angle, the optimum angle that they need to lean forward in order to maybe have the best running times but there's a headwind there. Does that mean that that's the optimal angle for people to run when there's not a headwind or maybe where there's a tailwind? If they leaned forward too much, they'd probably fall and it wouldn't work. So again, you can't take a particular set of circumstances and see what's best and then apply it in a completely different set of circumstances. So, you know, there's, uh, there's some, some basic thoughts there. And in fact, one of the nice things about allowing our body to convert ALA into EPA and DHA as needed is that we won't make too much of those things. We'll make just the right amount, kind of analogous to when we let our body convert beta carotene into vitamin A. We're not going to make too much vitamin A. We're going to keep at a safe level. So I really like to give credit to the body when it can do things well, and, and that's great. 
when we, we can't make our own B12 or we actually do, but it's past the point, it's downstream in our intestines from where we absorb B12, a B12 supplement is a really good idea for most people. Um, don't have a solution for that one, but um, our body can make enough EPA and DHA in most people, most of the time, uh, without having to take an outside source uh, of DHA. Couple other quick things I wanted to share. So as I mentioned, when my wife is pregnant, we measured her fatty acid profile three times during her pregnancy and twice after, including measuring her breast milk. DHA is incredibly important. And if I have to err on one side or the other, a little bit extra is probably better than not enough. So I recommended that she take uh, some DHA during her pregnancy and while she was breastfeeding. And then based on the level in her breast milk and the amount of breast milk our little guy was getting, I you know did all the math and calculated things. I knew um, how much DHA we wanted our little guy to get because DHA is an essential fat for infants. They can't make their own until they're at least six months old. Um, we, we put a little bit of, of DHA in his food also to make sure he had enough. And based on testing and based on knowledge of this topic, I thought, you know, both of those things, uh, both of those recommendations for my wife and baby were a really good idea. I don't take a DHA supplement. I don't recommend one for Chef AJ. Um, when we see what the results are and consider the entire profile that that's part of, those numbers on both of us look really solid. So bottom line is I'm not just adamantly against DHA supplementation, but good knowing what the numbers mean and understanding the results and how that fits into the rest of the things going on with someone, how it fits into their dietary and overall health profile. It's nice when the body can make enough DHA on its own. And that's what we see. That's what I have seen. I've tested 30, 40 or so people uh, who are vegan and um, that's what we see. That's what I've seen most of the time. Is I wish there was like a DHA for dummies, you know, be, <laughs> for people, because a lot of people supplement without even knowing what they're supplementing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yep. Yep. And, you know, can I mention one thing? If anyone wants to go to, let me uh, share the screen once again, I know I'm doing a lot of screen sharing. But if anyone wants to, and this is kind of okay, kind of DHA for dummies. If you want to go to our website, need some updating, it looks a little old, but there's excellent information there, rawfoodeducation.com. You click on this tab, Mastering Raw Food Nutrition. It talks about our 12-month, super in-depth, detailed, uh, plant-based curriculum. We have a series of webinars that we put the recordings on. And if you go down to the August 2021 webinar, How to Optimize Omega-3s on a Plant-Based and Raw Food Diet, I give a more extended version of a lot of the things that I just talked about. And uh, we show some research. We show my wife when she's pregnant there. So that's kind of like DHA for dummies uh, right there. And for if any of you who watch that or watch some of the other webinars and, and really like what you see, um, if you scroll down a little further, there's a place to click on a link to speak to us to see if taking our year-long curriculum uh, is appropriate for you. If you like learning things and like having confidence uh, in your plant-based diet and you, you like eating fruits and vegetables, um, it could make a lot of sense. Yeah. So you, Are there 
side effects of having too much DHA? Could somebody take e- too much of it? Excellent, 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 excellent point. And thank you for bringing that up. So I know Dr. McDougall, I learned from him years ago that traditional Inuit, otherwise known more uh, commonly as Eskimo populations, had very low rates of heart disease. Part of why is they eat lots of fish, lots of EPA and DHA. Those fats are fluid and flexible at body temperature. They keep our bloodstream more fluid and flexible. Unlikely that there's going to be much clogging in the arteries. But the downside of that is they had about double or so the risk of hemorrhagic stroke. And a hemorrhage means the bloodstream gets so thin that when the blood was on the way up to the brain, it would leak out of the blood vessels and not make its way up to the brain. And that would cause what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. A typical stroke is an occlusive stroke. The blood vessels get clogged and that's why the blood doesn't make it up there. So for example, if you took someone that ate the way you did, Chef AJ, or eats the way I do, uh, similar, there's a lot of similarities, but a few differences there. And we loaded up on a bunch of algae oil or fish oil, we would be at greater risk for our blood getting too thin and causing bleeding compared to the average person whose blood is so thick uh, to begin with. So most manufacturers are pretty responsible and they say things like don't take more than one gram per day of EPA and DHA together. I actually went a little bit over that when Dr. Karen was pregnant and when she was breastfeeding. You know, I, I didn't worry about uh, bleeding because her body was pumping out a whole bunch of DHA you know, to give to our little guy's brain when she was pregnant and then to put in her breast milk when she was breastfeeding. So again, that's one of the things I really like about allowing the body to make the amount of EPA and DHA that it needs because your body's not going to make too much. You're not at risk that way. But yes, you can have too much and that can be a concern. And and you don't want to do that. You don't want to hemorrhage over trying to be healthier. And the side effects of too little, and is it reversible if somebody did have these side effects for too little DHA? Yeah, so too little DHA can lead to depression, can be a contributor to insulin resistance, um, can cannot have your brain work right, it can lower your IQ, it can affect your eyes, it can affect your adrenal glands. Um, DHA is extremely important in tissue, like any you know, skin, muscles, brain, that is very metabolically active. DHA has six double bonds in there where there's extra electrons that conduct electrical activity. And um, so a lot of things, including hormones and brain function, don't work very well if we don't have enough. Super, super important. And that's why you know, we, we tested my wife three times when she was pregnant and twice after, we're like, wow, we're, we're, she, she built a new brain like when she was pregnant, like all pregnant moms do. We wanted to make sure there was enough there. So our dude's brain worked right. His eyes functioned properly. Uh, Low DHA levels have been associated with uh, greater behavioral problems, more ADHD, uh, et cetera. So you got to have enough, but you don't want too much. You got to be like Goldilocks there. Get it just right. Are there certain brands you recommend for when people take it? And uh, how often do you recommend people test their fatty acid levels? Yeah, um, you know, with a lot of 
things, no matter what you might ask me about, if somebody eats consistently and their levels look good, they might not need to test anything, whether it's B12 or D or, or DHA uh, for a few years. If they're making some dietary changes and or their levels don't look good and I make some recommendations, we might test them again in another month or two months or six months. Uh, so it really just depends. Uh, you know, with you, Chef AJ, I'd say you're good for a few years. Yeah. Uh, these numbers I, look good to me. Your I previous one looks it good. It was not, they, it wasn't changing. And, but, you know, every now and then for fun and just to be sure, I test it. How often do you test yours, Dr. Rick? Um, every few years. It, it's, I'm probably due. It's, it's been a little while. Um, so, yeah, every few years, basically. But speaking to your point where you don't, you know, things look good and you just, you don't have to test anybody. Like I've tested my folate a few times just for fun. And it's always above the high end of the reference range. So I'm like, all right, I, I think I'm covered there. Don't need to keep testing that. And this is a kind of test that they don't even need their doctor to order. I mean, if you have insurance and your doctor orders, it's covered. But if, my, if I understand correctly, a person can just order it themselves at places like Quest or LabCorp. They'll have to pay, but it's not like one of those tests where you need permission from your doctor. Correct. Um, so in the United States, it's really nice in all states except for four states, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. There are companies such as Direct Labs. You go to directlabs.com. You can actually set up an account with them, decide what you want tested. You pay them for the test. You print out a form and you bring it to a local lab and uh, they'll test it and they'll send you the results. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, with OmegaQuant, you can just go on their website and, and order the test. I would recommend the $100 complete omega-3 index. I think it's called, it used to be called something different. That shows you the, not just those numbers I showed you, but it shows you every fatty acid that they measure and the level. So that's kind of like looking under the hood. I, I, I per personally always like to see those numbers. And that's what I recommend to my patients. Yeah. What foods that people normally eat are the highest in omega-6? Would you say, is it the oils? Uh, it depends on, so um, corn, cottonseed, and soybean oil tend to be the highest in omega-6s. So if you eat corn on the cob, it's got five or 10% of the calories from fat. Of that fat, a significant amount of it is omega-6, but because corn is so low in calorie density and the overall fat level in it is low, I'm not worried about people becoming pro-inflammatory from too much corn. But when you take a million ears of corn and concentrate it down into a little bit of oil, so really in processed foods, corn, cottonseed, and soybean oil is where people end up with the excess of omega-6 fats. Really? Okay. And and so when people aren't consuming a lot of omega-6 like you and I, then we don't need to consume as much omega-3 if I understand that correctly. Correct. You want to look at the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And you can like put in all your food on chronometer or any kind of nutrient uh, database like that, nutrient software, and it'll calculate that for you. And what you want to do is you want to keep your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio no more than, there's various uh, opinions on this, but generally speaking, no more than about four times more omega-6s compared to omega-3s. Okay. That profile doesn't tend to create inflammation, tends to still allow omega-3 conversion to work well. And, and you can do that pretty well. I mean, leafy greens have more omega-3s than omega-6s. 
Fruits and vegetables in general, that varies widely, but in general have about a one-to-one six-to-three ratio. Interesting. Some grains are a little higher in sixes and threes, but if you get enough fruits and veggies in there, the balance can still be good. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that it's often the people that are selling the supplements that are telling you you need the supplement? Well, of course. I mean, if if you have a, a vested interest in, let's say in this case, more omega-3s and you read the research that says we need eight to 12% and you know most people aren't there, you'll have a tendency to say, hey, you need my product. That that That's a good selling point. Um I guess I'm kind of the enemy of that because I try to be fair and objective. And if somebody needs a supplement, I'm I'm happy to tell them to do that to get them healthier. But if they don't need it, then why go through the expense and the resources and have more, you know, plastic bottles in the world or even more glass to recycle? You know, I like using this stuff that's glass and uh, is just the liquid. There's no capsule involved and has a minimum of other ingredients, maybe like some rosemary extract or something as a, as a preservative. Um, it, it's just more responsible for the planet, in my opinion, also. What do you say to people who, for whatever reasons, decide to supplement, but their doctor says, oh no, the, the vegan version, it's not good. You have to take the fish oil. Oh, that's ridiculous. That is absurd. It's the exact same EPA and DHA. It's the exact same fatty acid, whether it comes from algae oil or fish oil. As a lot of plant-based people point out, the only place, the fish, fish don't make their own EPA and DHA. They get it from algae. So the krill and the, the little minnows and stuff, they eat the algae. And then the, the bigger fish, you know, on and on up the food chain, uh, eat the, the smaller fish. But it all came from the algae originally. It's the exact, you know, EPA from fish versus EPA from algae. It's the exact same fatty acid. Because and you get much, much lower levels of environmental contaminants with this. Even though they purify fish oil, you go from these super high levels of mercury and dioxin and PCBs, and they purify and they lower the levels to some legal limit. But when you go to the lowest level on the food chain in the first place, the levels are dramatically lower. So I, I think the algae-based uh, omega-3s, EPA and DHA, generally speaking, much healthier than the fish oil. Have you noticed, uh, you never see fish taking uh, DHA supplements, do you? I'm sorry, do I notice what? I said, you, have you noticed that you never see a fish taking a, a, a DHA <laughs> supplement? I, I'm just kind of teasing. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting though, it's really mostly in, it's cold water fish and cold water algae that have a lot of EPA and DHA because this stuff's really fluid and flexible, right? This stuff's solid here, the coconut oil. This stuff's fluid and flexible. You can get really cold water. And uh, think about it, if a whale with a, a load of EPA and DHA and it went to swim in tropical water, it would get too stiff. It, it couldn't move very well. So in any case, right, you don't see them taking a DHA supplement. You see them eating the algae or eating creatures that ate the algae in order to get their DHA. You know, many, many years ago when I was worried before talking to people like you and Dr. McDougall and Dr. Esselstyn, I tried the vegan version and I just burped all day. It was as if I was actually taking fish oil. It just made me, it just, I left the worst taste in my mouth and I, I couldn't get over the burps from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that can happen. There, there's some products I've tried that, that don't taste very fishy, or I actually haven't tried them. I like smell them and my, 
but you know the the, the one we have that we put in um our kids uh you know we have some plant-based formula that we give them in addition to feeding them a lot of fruits and vegetables um it has a little bit of orange oil in it i think because it does taste a little fishy and i notice sometimes when i'm putting his bottle together the plastic parts that go in there smell a little bit fishy <laughs> so uh yeah and it, it's so it's not ideal but if if your body's not converting better to have the stuff from whatever source than to not have it but if you don't need it then you don't need it other than to take your 12-week course are there ways for people to connect with you like do you do any private consults if somebody would want you to analyze their uh, profiles Yes. So that has actually been on hold for a couple of years. Uh, you know, we had a kid and my wife and I work at home and run our classes and everything. And it's a 12 month course, by the way, it's a pretty, you know, well, I said 12 week, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, that's no, okay. <laughs> we, we may have shorter 12 week courses in the future. So, uh, um, but in any case, my, my individual consulting uh, service has been on hold for a little while. I'm really thinking now our guys too, now, you know, he's more self-sufficient. Things are freeing up time-wise. By the winter of 2024, by like, you know, shortly after the new year, I'm going to be able to work with people again individually, which I just love doing. I love, you know, knowing what people eat, seeing their lab work. I'm like a little kid on Christmas. Yeah, let's see how it all looks. <laughs> um, but if they go to rawfoodconsulting.com, I have a very rudimentary website there. Um, and down at the bottom of the first, the the front page, you can, uh, you there will be in a few more months, a link uh, to sign up uh, to work with me individually. That is fantastic. I'm sure people will jump at the chance. You were in the uh, Lissa and Chris's raw food bundle this year, weren't you? Absolutely. We we love working with Chris and Lissa and, and Nate and uh, being part of that bundle. Yes. The reason I ask is, have you tried her wraps yet? You know, I don't think so. We always see those things on Instagram and they look so awesome. Uh, we just haven't gotten around to, to trying them yet. I think you'd love them and they're totally on board with everything you recommend. And you, I'm sure you have a Vitamix or a blender because all you Absolutely. do is you blend the stuff, you put it on the dehydrator in the morning, you got your wrap. Yep. You know, it depends when our, when our guy, like for his first year, our little dude, he, we could sit him in his bouncer in his chair and I would juice and I would dehydrate peppers and tomatoes and stuff that we'd put in our dressings and he would just bounce around and I'd show him stuff and he was happy you know, after one years old, he started running all around and he got a little, little tougher to contain. And then he tries to grab the knife and stuff. So it became a little harder to make things, but he's getting to the point now where I think we can uh, start to do some of that stuff again. Well, um, but if you make them, let me know and let me know if you enjoy them because it's incredible what she created because it's basically just, you know, vegetables and it, it's like, it's like eating bread, but it's so healthy. And does the, um, the, so you said there's chia in there and that makes yeah, so it like she, kind of flexible her, and each one of her recipes makes two wraps and in one wrap sometimes feeds two people depending you know on what you put in it and each each individual wrap has one tablespoon of either flax or chia which she says is interchangeable and a tablespoon of psyllium which she says is necessary mm. for pliability and a few dates which she talks about that like you if you follow her recipes exactly they come out perfect every time that sounds awesome. Yeah, Lissa and her husband are actually in our uh, our Mastering Raw Food Nutrition course uh, this year. So it's been an honor That's to right. have There's... them and and, and <laughs> other influencers uh, when they join us. We're, we're always honored. 
No wonder they know so much. They've been studying <laughs> with you. <laughs> they, they've learned some good things this year. They, they knew a lot to begin with, but um, yeah, we, we love, you know, just diving in and, and making sense and bringing people's knowledge level and confidence level uh, up. It, it, it's so fun. Yeah. Hey, do you mind if I ask something a little controversial? Sure, sure. You know, I don't know how much you follow stuff on Instagram, but apparently there I don't follow people that much, but there was a raw vegan influencer who died of starvation. And of course, you know, people are using that. I don't know her and I, my heart goes out to her family, but, you know, obviously it sounds like she had an eating disorder. It wasn't because she was raw or vegan, but do you know anything about that? Because, you know, the, the, the anti-vegans are having a field day with it, of course. Yeah. Well, first of all, again, my, my heart goes out to her family, just like you said, that that's a rough thing. Um, so th there's been a, a number of, of various things that happen every few years like this, where it's, you know, they blame it on veganism or they blame it on raw foodism. And they say, you know, there was protein deficiency and all these different things. And I, and I think it's pretty clear that this young lady was eating what jackfruit and one other thing and not enough calories and like you said, it was really anorexia was the issue that I saw there. Um, it, just not enough calories and only eating two kinds of foods. I mean, you mean th that isn't healthy. It's just not healthy. We need enough calories. I mean, Chef AJ, you and I was thinking of calorie density and fruits and vegetables. We tell people they need to eat a lot of food um, in order to get enough calories. It, it's fun to eat a lot but you no, have to eat enough. I, I, that's what I say to myself every day. That's why I, I'd much rather eat a lot than a little. You, you know, um, I, I forget it was Brenda Davis or one of the other plant-based dietitians said that, you know, I, I guess they're called the American Dietetics Association said that a, a well-planned vegan diet is appropriate for all stages of life, including, you know, pregnancy, et cetera. But what about a raw vegan diet, because there was another person. And again, I, I don't know her name and, and not trying to uh, point out, call her out, but I actually saw her on Dr. Phil and she was mostly fruit raw vegan. And she was having a raw vegan pregnancy and raising her baby raw vegan. Hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I can't speak to what I, so I'm not familiar with that. Sounds like an interesting episode. I'd love to uh, see it. Um, does he, ha can you go on Dr. Phil and like, I, I can try to and find it for you. I, I, I'm actually, I think she was on my show, but of course, you know, they, they bring these sensational stories, you know, to, to, to criticize the vegan diet, but I'm right. curious that, um, can people did, 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 did Karen have a raw pregnancy? She ate this the same way she normally does, which is about 90% raw, um, lots of greens, lots of leafy greens, giant salads, smoothies, um, she does steam some vegetables, so she has some quinoa and chickpeas here and there, uh, but but uh, so a largely raw pregnancy. And with our little guy, I mean, he eats a lot of raw food. As, as far as vegetables, he's about two now, and he's starting to be able to like chew up. We give him little pieces of raw cauliflower and stuff like that and zucchini that he can chew. Um, but we do steam his vegetables. Um, and when he was younger... Uh, we would blend him up this soup. We'd steam up some zucchini and kale and um, chickpeas. And then we would blend that up with some chia seeds and walnuts and, and make a soup for him. So so some of that was raw, but not all. But but he's totally vegan and, you know, he's he's thriving. He's doing great. So I, I really can't speak to anyone else. But like with anything, if if you... If you ate only eggs and you had 600 calories of eggs per day, 
you wouldn't stay alive for an extended period of time. That's not enough calories. That's not enough nutrition. The media probably wouldn't make a big deal of that. And they would say, look at this egg weirdo person uh, who became anorexic. But when meat and dairy aren't involved, it must be because they're vegan. So you can eat a, 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 a really poor vegan diet if you want. You can be calorie deficient. You can be nutrient deficient. Or you can eat a really super healthy vegan diet and have all your nutrients and avoid all the carcinogens and avoid saturated fat and cholesterol and have a lot of fiber and have a lot of antioxidants and have a lot of anti-cancer nutrients. And you can absolutely thrive uh, as well. It, it just depends on how you go about, you know, something just came up. I remember um, or came into my head. I remember a teacher when I was in chiropractic school who I didn't think was too smart, who was trying to take the position that exercise wasn't good for you. And he brought up a study where he looked at NFL football players who had a variety of mechanical neck and back issues, and therefore exercise is bad for you. We're like, wow, these are professionals that are going out and getting hammered and putting an enormous amount of stress on their body. And if they're in pain, it's like, hey, take aspirin. We need you in the game. You have to perform. You're getting paid a million bucks for this. That doesn't correspond to people going out and walking a half an hour a day or riding their bike or you know, runners who aren't injuring themselves. So you can go overboard on exercise. You can do it responsibly. You can eat any diet irresponsibly or responsibly. But it's, it's tough to see the media um, twist things and, and be sensationalistic. And in fact, that reminds me, um, we, we read several articles after that young woman's death and some of them reported that it was anorexia and it was unfortunate. They reported it responsibly. Other papers or, or, you know, journalists reported it horribly irresponsibly and made all these ridiculous claims about how vegan diets don't work over the long term. And, and it's just, it's very unfortunate. I thought, yeah, that, that's why I've been at this for 35 years, you know, and that's why you've been at it for all these years. And we have a growing community of, of healthy people who have been eating this way for decades and decades and decades and seems to be working if you do it right. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. I really enjoy talking to you. And this is a really interesting subject and a hot topic often. Yes. Well, I hope this has, uh, you know, informed some of your audience and made them feel more confident. And, um, you know, the more we know what we're doing, the more we can be successful at this and, and the more we stick with it and we can keep getting the benefits. And Chef AJ, just always a pleasure speaking with you and, and uh, connecting with your audience. So thank you so much. Oh, same here. Thanks, Dr. Rick. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for another fabulous show. Dr. Shayla Toomes with her. We'll be starting at nine tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.